Welcome to Fashion History with American Duchess. I'm Lauren. And I'm Abby. And today we are going to do part two of uh, Abby's fabulous interview on 18th century hairdressing. Mm. We have named this... (laughs) I have named it. (laughs) Abby has named this official title. It's not just one direction. 18th century Harry Styles. <laughs> Harry Styles of the 18th century. Get it? Ah! I'm very proud of my puns, yes. ladies and gentlemen. We're extra punny today. Extra punny. Uh, so last time we talked about 18th century hairdressing from the perspective of what are the products that were mm-hmm. used, hygiene, uh, the myth of wigs for women's wear, yeah. um, um, kind of really digging into... My favorite topic. <laughs> uh, how women were uh, dressing their hair and treating their hair and cleaning mm-hmm. their hair in the 18th century. So this time we are going to talk about hairstyles in different mm-hmm. uh, decades of the 18th century. Yeah. Um, the tools they used, uh, sort of the interesting things that they, they did to get the height and the width mm-hmm. of yeah. the hair. <laughs> and uh and hair powder it again and when it came in and when it went out mm-hmm. um so abby if you'd like to kind of introduce yourself again with the background on the the hair yeah research in case someone's tuning in and they haven't listened to the other episode which it's probably a good idea to go back and listen to the first episode about the hairdressing but at the same time this can kind of be listened to independently um my background in hairdressing Research. Um, I've probably been researching the subject for about three to four years now, um, really focusing on the last quarter of the 18th century for women's hairdressing and, and practices. I spent about a year of my life actually implementing um, 18th century hygienic hair hygienic practices into my day-to-day life um, at my old job, and I am a nut about it, and hopefully... I'll be able to actually publish some of my research in an academic journal here real soon. Real soon. We just had to write a book first. Yeah. <laughs> Which was not about hair. No. Um, all the hair stuff got cut out. Because <laughs> we didn't have time. Yeah, cut that hair. <laughs> oh. Yay. That's the second pun of the day, ladies and gentlemen. We've had coffee. Uh, Abby, so let's go through a brief timeline mm-hmm. of, of hairstyles in, in the last half of the 18th century. Yeah. Which is your specialty. So yeah. to press that. last quarter. Uh, to preface to preface this, which we'll go in depth about, yeah. hair in the first half was mm-hmm. in England and France was dressed fairly close to the head. Yes, it was. Um, and it's it's not particularly exciting when you compare it to like seventeen seventies, seventeen eighties. Yeah, no, you know, it's kind of boring stuff going on, and even the sixties yeah. with the bichon frise and the tête de mouton and yeah. these things in France. Um, so let's have a, a quick chat about our timeline here and when mm-hmm. these were in fashion and, and what yeah well I mean like if you were. look at if look at hair and say the because we looked at a lot of images from the 1740s for the book um, and you see a lot of a curly hair a lot of natural hair but it's not very big hair it's actually really close to the head um, so in the scheme of things it's really easy for modern people to do and it's also terribly boring yeah, so um, it's kind of like twisted on the sides or, yeah uh, in England they let the locks hang down on the yeah, sides it's, it's really rather modern looking yeah it's it's not terribly exciting and boring it's, it's not really iconic um, and the caps are small too uh, you don't have room for a lot of hair up in there so it is kind of twisted and kept close to the head and out of the way um, and so you see that and then I don't know. I kind of black out during the 1750s, mostly it's, because I've never cared. Yeah, to it's, be honest. it's the same thing. Up until yeah. you get to the 70s and you start building height, hair is really... Well, in the 60s. Yes, oh, my mistake. So the 60s, yeah. you start to build height. It's nothing like yeah. the 70s. No, no, like 74. Um, but it's a very, very gradual trend. Yeah, it is. It, it slowly builds. <laughs> That's the third one. <laughs> so so then, yeah, when we get to like the 1760s and we see like the tattoo mouton, and then you slowly start to see height coming in at the very end of the 1760s. What I think is interesting, and we talked about this in the first episode, is that French women at this point in time, in the 1760s, they were really powdering and pomading their hair. And by an English woman at that time, they're not really doing it to the same capacity. Um, so we have the tight curls. And what was interesting, I've read some about the Tête Mouton because David Ritchie's article, a uh, book on hair, uh, addresses um, 
hair pieces used for the tête de mouton and uh, what are called like toupees. Um, I, I'm not, and this is where I really wish I could have gone to cosmetology school because you still can. I still can, um, but I work full time for you. And that's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And I got this little old lady staring at me named Doris, the dog. Hey, now. I'm only 33. Needs... Oh, wait. <laughs> wait um, 34? <laughs> um, so they talk about using fake hair uh, called a toupee, um, which obviously if we think about what we know as a toupee today, where that goes on the head. But they also refer to it as a part on the scalp when it comes to how you fix your hair. Um, but David Ritchie talks about the tete bouton. And, and, you know, fake hair to be used for that. What I found interesting is that I have come across references for, like, the tight curly hair um, in the earlier part of the 18th century, like the tête de bouton, and they'll stuff the curls with wool. And there's actually a really funny story about a woman who didn't have, like, wool or anything to put into her curls, so she put straw. Oh, God. <laughs> you can probably figure out where this is going. And then she was wearing it around a horse, and the horse is like, don't mind if- <laughs> um, at, at costume college last year, we actually did my hair in a tete de mouton, mm-hmm. and it was surprisingly complicated yeah. to get the curls to keep that yeah. shape. It required yeah. a lot of pins, yeah. and we didn't have any wool to stuff, yeah, to stuff in there. The curls with, yeah. um, but we we did pomade and powder it to mm-hmm. get the volume, um, mm-hmm. and I used a hair piece at the back because I had a you had like no grown hair. out pixie at the yeah. time. Um, but but it, a, it was a, very sculptural. But it's a good point to make that you don't actually need long hair to do a tête de mouton. It actually can be very, very short on top. Yeah. And you actually see that a lot through the 18th century. Even in like the 1780s and 90s when they're doing the very full frizzy hairstyles. Like the hair is actually not super long because if it's too long, it the curls won't stay in, out. They mm-hmm. will fall back down. Yeah, so it gets too weighty. Yeah, and so you see rollers starting to come in in the very early 1770s, late 1760s um, to help give some height at the front. So you're starting to see the height start to go up at the forehead. So a roller is not Mm -hmm. what we think of as a hair, as rollers for your hair. No. To set your hair, it's it's a form. Yeah, it's a form. It looks like um, a hairy banana. Oh, <laughs> it looks like a banana. Um, so you literally can roll your hair over it. So if you see back shots of people's hair dressed in the 18th century, um, you'll see that the hair actually is rolling around something. And so th- the easiest way to do this, especially if you do have longer hair in the front, is like you're doing like a curling iron or a roller, but you're doing it on this soft form, known, known as a roll or a roller. Um, you can roll your hair over and over and over and over and over and then pin the the points down to your temples, and then you can secure the pins very quickly um, in the back, and it helps give a very neat and clean finished appearance. Um, so, so it really helps, especially if your hair is not going to be covered up by a cap, where that hides a lot of mistakes. Um, so, so that that works. And then the really tall hair, and I think this is probably the biggest. Not only is it the most iconic. For women in the 18th century and how customers view the 18th century but it's also yeah it's also one of the more trickier things is the really really tall hairstyles the very vertical hairstyles that people always think of with like Marie Antoinette or wigs and things like that it really is actually a pretty brief blip in hair fashion in the 18th century um, most images from that time period that show that kind of highly vertical hair is we're talking like 73 at the earliest to 75 at the latest so it's really very, about 74. very short amount of time so mm-hmm. it was it was a trend mm-hmm. um really really short-lived but it was of course satirized yeah a lot and now it's iconic and it's iconic mm-hmm. and the subtleties of how it changed mm-hmm. um and what, how it came about and how it changed during, yeah to the untrained eye or yeah like, like mine are lost so as yeah. it, it changes from very vertical to more heart-shaped yeah to more yeah to the side then yeah. that's very gradual but and you see that heart shape hairstyles you see on women start around 75 76 even though i think they're they really peak around 76 to 78 um, and they're not as tall necessarily um, as what you see in 74, but they're, they're widening out to the side. So they do create, like if the woman's chin is 
like the bottom of a heart. It, it kind of helps create that overall all shape. Um, but then by 79, 80, 81, that's when you start to see the frizzy hairstyles come into fashion that are not exactly the same as what a lot of people want to call a hedgehog today because it's a, it's a much tighter curl. It's a technique known as creping versus just like curling. Um, yeah, they do. I've noticed the, a distinct difference in mm-hmm. portraiture in texture of the from hair. the 70s into the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've been interested, uh, tertiarily interested in why <laughs> that was yeah. um, and how that changed. And what yeah. Was well, when you, when you see references to it um, in hairdressing manuals, it, it has to do with the aesthetic that they're trying to go for at that point in time. So there was a lot of thought and a lot of trend and style when it came to, and fashion, when it came to women's hairdressing throughout definitely the last quarter of the 18th century. Um, And so they really wanted to have it, the hair look very light and airy. And so they did not want it to look heavy and dense. And so this creping method, which is when you take like one inch sections of hair and you coat it in powder and pomade, and then you actually will dip your fingers in a layer of chalk or brick dust, hmm. and you run that over the hair, the the lock of hair, and then you twist the hair over itself, twist and twist and twist and twist around and around and around and around, and around until then it kind of curls up onto itself and like creates like a spiral curl. Yeah, really tight, so really really twisty tight, and then it knots kind of twist down onto itself. And then you wrap that in, in uh, paper. Uh, French paper is what's always recommended. I don't know how that compares to tissue paper or hair paper today. I've experimented with different papers and I don't really know which one's the best, quite truthfully. Because I don't know what French the, paper was like, like yeah. back then. Um, and then that's when you apply heat to it. Um, usually with what a lot of people call like papillot curl irons. Um, I just use a flat iron because it's the same mentality same idea idea. and you see those irons in lots of interior images of women's boudoirs and whatnot which i think is really interesting um and then once the hair cools and the curl is basically set you have to be really careful when you when you comb it out um you have to do one at a time and they warn you that when you comb this out you have to be so careful because the texture of the hair has changed so much that if you rush this process, you can basically create a knot so insane on this woman's hair that it's she's got to cut, cut her out. hair. Yeah, oh. it's really bad. Um, but what it actually does is it it creates hair texture that is you don't need then to back comb your hair to frizz it or tease it. It actually is so curly and so to use an 18th century term, frizzy, that you you literally just pick it out and you comb it out, and that creates the very light, airy texture that you see. And um, it, it does bring to mind certain portraits mm-hmm. where they have this cloud of hairs yeah. straight up. <laughs> yeah. Like, how did they do, do that? It. Like, why does That's it look they like it. that? It's not artist's mm-hmm. interpretation. That is how the hair looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they call it creeping, too, which I think is interesting. And this goes back to an earlier episode that I talked with Samantha about Civil War morning, and there's the fabric known as crepe. And what makes crepe crepe is the crinkly texture in the textile. Interesting. So crepe hair, it's the same kind of crinkly texture. Um, and so you see that being used a lot in the 80s. And then in the 90s, early 90s, before, before the massive shift happens and we have the revolution and things like that. So like pre-94, um, you know, you're seeing some bigger curls and things like that, but that is kind of as a nuance of a trend. Um, they do a lot of heat set in the 18th century, which I find fascinating because that to me is not the easiest way to do a frizzy hedgehog style that we call it today. Um, it's a lot easier to do it with a wet set, but as we talked about in the earlier episode, wet setting's problematic. That's not a good idea. <laughs> um, getting your hair wet is problematic when you're using pomade and powder. So, so the, the 90s has sort of a drooping hedgehog. It, it, gets, it gets smaller and smaller, and then, and then yeah, it's like by the mid-90s. Scraggly looking. Yeah, <laughs> by the mid-late 90s, it's <laughs> much more scraggly looking, and it's 
long and loose and, and yeah you have it wrapped up in your turban and then we start to lose powder at this point too. you do you lose it but it's not completely gone in the way that it's gone in the 19th century i think a lot of people go oh the french revolution oh the taxes on hair powder blah 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 blah, blah flower what have you and they go oh it's gone forever and it's like well actually if you look at the portraiture they're not using it in the same capacity that they did but if you look at hairdressing manuals from the 90s and you look at portraiture you can see once you kind of get used to what hair looks like when it's been lightly powdered um, you can actually see that they're still using a little bit of powder but it's not to change the hair color and texture in the same way that it is today the hair if you only use pomade will give a very shiny greasy effect and if you look at 90s hair it's not that way um, I, obviously, yes, some people, if they had curly hair, could do a more natural without any sort of powder or pomade in it, but I, I don't, I, it doesn't make sense to me that you would go all this time with using pomade and powder and it's an integral part of your hygienic, uh, process. And then just stop. And just stop yeah, so all it, of a sudden. It wasn't just it's, fashion. You gotta have, you gotta have the routine. Yeah. yeah. You gotta have that downward slope. And so if the bottom of no powder is, you know, the 1800s. Regency time period and then you have the late 90s there That's it's almost gone, but not quite so hair is transitioning along with everything else. Yeah, in fashion. surprise surprise right. So you mentioned a few tools and techniques the, earlier um, Let's elaborate on that. So The hairstyles that mm -hmm. you spoke of how were they made what tools mm -hmm. did they use? Yeah, so to we do these things so we did talk about in the other episode the first episode that pomade and powder are the main tools and ingredients and hair products that that women and men would use to dress their hair um, Combs hairpins things like that the one thing we touched on in the earlier episode But we're gonna really go into now and what I'm gonna pontificate on for a very long time. I hope you already learned um, <laughs> I am ready <laughs> are um, the use of, of uh, Rollers and cushions um, There are prints that actually show cushions that are in the geometric structural shapes that were pinned to women's head, heads and their hair was pulled up over top of them and even tucked into them because sometimes they were almost like donut shaped when i've kind of played with different types of cushion designs i've made a donut before i have totally tried to use yeah. a water wing for this <laughs> yes you it, did didn't you it didn't work <laughs> don't use a water wing no because they're be plastic and they, yeah you have to be able to pin into it um what they're made out of is is Interesting. I think they were made out of a lot of different materials. Um, but to, to backtrack to for clarification, we have rollers, which I talked about, which you can physically roll your hair over, and they kind of look like big, long bananas. Then we have cushions, which are the much more geometric shapes that are pinned to the hair and the head, and the hair is pulled over them. Cushions were used up through the 90s. Um, they weren't always just to give your hair architectural shape, but to give your hair a way to get extra volume. And I also think they were a way to pin um, hats and things oh. onto your hair and or onto your head without going through your hair. Because if your hair is just a big frizzy mess, you don't really have much to pin to. But it if you have a cushion, yeah. yeah, if you have a cushion that that is it secured, then now. you can pin through the cushion. So these are like, the bumpets of yes of the 18th century but way yes. more advanced yes. bumpets never worked for me yeah i've never <laughs> experimented with the bumpet um but but i have experimented with different cushion shapes so we have the banana roller <laughs> um we have the donut shape that is really good when you're trying to go for that like 74 very vertical height hairstyle um there's a french fashion a french plate of a male hairdresser dressing a woman's um hair and it's more like 70 i think it's more 76 78 because she has heart shaped but you can see the shadow of the hair and the way it's done is that it's going in to the center of this form so there's a hole in it there's a hole in it okay yeah. and then you would put your poo for your hat or whatever yeah that. yeah you just cover, cover it up with flowers off. and crap yeah. so or, or just curl your hair i've done that too with people where the their hair is so long that even if i pin it down to the bottom their hair kind of can come back up well you just curl that cover it up with some gauze and feathers and flowers and stuff and call it a day there you go yeah and uh what they're made out of i've experimented with this 
I think in what I found references to and what has worked the best for me is that the hair roller and cushions are made out of wool, knit wool. Interesting. Or wool knit. So not, um, I've experimented with like just a wool broadcloth, a cheap stuff. Um, I've experimented with wrapping that in hair and things like that. But the one I've had the most luck with is, is it has to be a knit textile. I mean, obviously you could probably use a silk knit if you wanted to, but why? Um, wool knit would be cheaper, and also wool it's kind of sticky, right? Yeah, yeah, and wool being being an animal hair. Um, think about like the little felt boards that we would play with as children. You know, you'd have the felt pieces, and you could stick the felt to the felt, the static. So that static actually helps with the hairdressing too. I found, hmm. and being a knit, it's more moldable, and it also means it's going to have holes in it, so it's going to be easier to pin your hairpins through it to secure the the roller or the cushion to your scalp. So I've heard um, way back in time when I first mm-hmm. started learning about this about cork forms, and yeah. what I imagined was basically a giant wine cork mm-hmm. carved into a shape and then the hair pinned to it. I never really I understood. I think I might have been in a theater production is. where someone did something like that with a, like a solo cup. Oh, <laughs> I've seen that done. You get like egghead shape. Yeah, but, yeah. But. Um, as we've gone along, I've learned a little bit more about cork just in passing, and it was it's ground cork. So would you yeah. stuff your hair roller? What what would you inside? I've never I've never experimented. I've never even seen a reference to that. I would love to know where you read that because that's actually really interesting to me. Because I was like, why is she going to talk about bums? I don't understand. <laughs> but you're talking about hair, but which it, it makes sense though. Yeah, ground cork actually makes a lot of sense. Bums make your butt bigger, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. hair rollers make your hair bigger. Yeah. Um, I've experimented with different stuffing options. Um, This one's tricky too, to be honest. I mean, obviously, if you collect hair and you have old hair, putting that in is gonna be, you know, a good way to do it because it's gonna be very moldable and it's your hair, so. Recycle. Yeah, recycle, and that way if, say, your roller is a little bit visible, you're gonna see a wool knit, but then also maybe your hair. Um, I don't collect my hair and I've never experimented with that. Um, what I like to use, even though it's problematic, um, I like to use either feathers, so like down, or I'll just use wool roving or wool batting. Um, the problem with wool batting is that the more you manipulate it, the more you you use it, it's going to start to stick to itself and it's going to start to kind of... Oh, it felts. It felts to itself and so it, it, you lose some some soft, squishy moldability. That's what I like when I use feather down and I stuff the wool with feather down because it's very moldable and it really like... Because wool will like spring back up and so you're kind of fighting the wool to keep it in place where feather down, like a down pillow, you know, kind of conforms. Yeah. But the problem with down is that down plus knit. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Sometimes I've pulled feathers out of my head before. Trouble Literal feather head. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of the, the problem. When you see references to, to rollers and cushions in advertisements, they don't usually talk about the nitty gritty details of what they're made of. This might be because, well, everyone uses them, so they already there's know. There's an assumption. There's yeah. the assumption that they're going to know what they're made out of to a degree. But then there's also these hairdressers and sometimes peruke makers and, and people who are making money in the hair industry. It's supposed to be this big special thing, and so they don't want to tell you. Trade secrets. Yeah, it's a secret. Of course, you can just you have to come and buy it. Go and buy one and cut it open and find out. Yeah, <laughs> but you have to go and buy it. Hmm. Yeah, again, they will make that money. So, so in the newspaper advertisements, it's not always a hundred percent clear. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you you get these forms up on your head. You might use multiples of them, depending on the style. I guess, I guess, yeah, I think it would depend on the style. I usually only ever use one, um, just depending on what I'm going for. And then you are you've got your hair pomaded and powdered, mm-hmm. and you're gonna pull it up over the form and mm-hmm. pin it in and. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, you talked a little bit about hairpins in the previous yes. podcast. Um, let's talk a little bit more about hairpins and okay. how you use them with these forms. Okay. Um, so it goes back to the whole wool knit thing. Um, it's It has holes in it. And why you don't use a plastic water wing. <laughs> no matter how viable that looks. 
<laughs> it's like a good like idea, but it's the plastic that's the problem. Um, hairpins, from what I can tell, with the very few that survive in museum collections, and the lack of detail in their physical depiction in prints, you'll see them on tables uh, for women dressing their hair. Like you'll see the hairpins laying there, but they're literally just Line, lines. Line yeah, it's a little line. Really tell anything about no you can't yeah. there's no real good information there um but the few that survived in the nordiska museum um in stockholm they come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes uh their wire and the one thing i found to be super interesting and it makes tons of sense is that they um they're sharp on the edge uh, so our hair pins today our bobby pins today they almost all have a rubber coating on the tip yeah have you um, ever lost one of those little rubber ends it's so painful it hurts you're like ah yeah <laughs> um, it's awful and so there's a good reason why they're there um but that makes it really hard to get those pins through a textile right um amish hair pins today are the closest thing i have found to 18th century hair pins short of making your own short of making your own and i'm crazy but i'm not that crazy no i think I'm just too lazy, honestly. <laughs> I'm just too lazy to do it. I can't be bothered. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to go throw money at the problem. And so I've, I've, I've experimented and I've used Amish hairpins. And those suckers, yeah, they can do a really good job. Um, they're big, and aren't they? Yeah, they can be really big and they can also be pretty small. There's some that are maybe like an inch long. And, and fairly sturdy, the ones yes. I've seen that you, you yeah, have are. they're nice thick, sturdy They're not wire. these little skinny, crinkly, handy mm-hmm. things. No. Useless things that you, you buy no. at the beauty supply store. No, 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 no. Though I have found good hairpins at, at like Sally's before that came in like a little plastic cup and they were just wire. They weren't sharpened on the edge, but they also didn't have the rubber coating on the tip. Ah, so and, you, and you could get a file and sharpen them, I suppose. I, I could, yeah. Again, I'm lazy. Lazy. Lazy, Daisy. So lazy. Um... But you pin, and I read this, and um, I learned my pinning technique actually through um, a hairdressing manual called Plakakamos, and this one is what? Yeah, yeah, I know. Plakakamos. I might be putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable there, but that's how I've I've taught myself to pronounce it. There's a place called Plakakamos. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, I have no idea. That's what it's called. Where the hairpins go. Every day at the office. Yeah, we sure do. It's just part of our work life. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, uh, the, <laughs> this is this sucker. This book is just long. It's like hundreds and hundreds of pages long. But he actually goes into how to pin. He, he goes step by step how to cut the hair, how to pomade and powder the hair, how to put the hair over the cushion. And this is this is my favorite thing about this. This is I think this is early '80s. We're talking like '82, '83 here. Not only do they have plates of the different hairstyles that they're going through and he talks about, but when you compare it to the um, the 80s version of um, Diderot, the Encyclopedia Methodique, the tools and images that are in the print for hairdressing are the same tools and hairstyle that Plakakamos is talking about. Interesting. Yeah, it was it was one of those things I was like, ah, it's amazing. Really, really uh, to see this book. <laughs> um, and, and so he goes through it, but he talks about how to pin and that you take the hairpin and you stab it down so it, the points get to the scalp, so don't stab too hard. And then you bring it out, twist to catch the hair, and then push it back up into the cushion. What? So your, your wow. hairpins have to be long enough that you can push it through, twist to grab the hair to help secure it, and then push it back up into the cushion. Okay, so it's kind of a more complicated version of how to use the open hairpins today where you, mm-hmm. you kind of go in reverse and then yeah. to get them to stay. Otherwise, if you just stick it in, they're not going to stay. Then, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Surprised so, you on that one. Uh, I'm so surprised. <laughs> I didn't know that was coming. Like, mega surprised. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, what's interesting about that book, too, is he has recipes to make blue hair powder, but it's called pink hair powder. Because it's scented with pinks. 
Like the flower? The flower. Oh, well, that's not confusing at all. No, luckily... Thanks, platypus-clock-in-a-bow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> platypus. Um, but next to it, he has rose-colored hair powder. So that's... That. So there's... Okay. But rose actually does make the pink hair color. Yeah. And that's made using carmine. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, um, okay. That is wonderfully fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's also how, how I learned how to create hair, too. Uh, just amazing. So let's delve into some of the, the hairstyles that you talked about at mm-hmm. the beginning in the brief mm-hmm. timeline mm-hmm. Um, uh, 1770s 1780s and 90s mm-hmm. hairstyles a little bit more about those because you have just an extraordinary experience with m- making these tools wearing this yeah. dressing your hair so 1770s let's break it down how mm-hmm. big and tall did hair really get? Because we have this theatrical yeah. version mm-hmm. where we imagine the hair is like three feet tall on top yeah. of the head. Let's yeah. talk about that. Um, there's a couple of different issues going on here. Let's let's back up to to 1770. So in 17 from about 70 1770 to about 72, hair actually isn't that high. It is kind of peaky. Um, and there's some height in the front with the roller, but it's actually really not that bad. It's it's similar to like a bumpet, right? We talked about bumpets earlier. Um, so we're talking maybe an extra inch to two inches of height at the front. In 1774 is when you start to see all those satirical prints and images about women who have the super high vertical hair that we, like you mentioned, that people think is like three freaking feet tall and just huge. When... Because you and I did this together, and this is something that I've been dealing with. When you actually start to break down the proportion of portraiture at this point in time, you will realize it's actually not as tall as you think it is. It looks really tall because it's at max. We what we the face is like the your. It's at m- max. It's it's one from the yeah, chin to the forehead. That's like it stacked on top of each on other. top of you. So proportionally, yeah. it looks really big, but we're talking maybe five to six inches max. We're not talking three feet. We're not even talking a foot. Um, you'd be surprised how tall four inches of height actually looks on the head. Yeah. Um, it's how vertical it is that kind of makes it really seem that big. But but we're, we're honestly probably looking at max six to eight inches. Um, and that's extraordinarily tall. It is. From, it's insanely tall. From the, the top of the forehead, yeah. the, your widow's peak, so to speak. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's massive. And so it looks really big to us today. And then, of course, then we have stereotypes and satirical prints and things like that that are making fun of how tall the hair is by making it even bigger. And so this is kind of the the nuances of studying satirical prints is that a lot of the information in satirical prints, it, it, it's based off of truth because that's what makes it funny, right? We're making fun of people for doing these silly things. But they're going to emphasize what they're making fun of to make it even more comical. Yeah, right? it's just It's just humor. It's just comedy. Um, to, to back up for a second, yeah. um, for those of you wondering how we got to this conclusion about the, the height of hair... What we did is we measured... Um, we put your Photoshop skills to use and be standing over your <laughs> my shoulder. My art degree. <laughs> um, we took a, a, a great many portraits and we... Mm-hmm. Basically in Photoshop, I traced over mm-hmm. the head. Now, human proportion is about seven and a half heads yeah. tall. And that's a general rule. Of course, there's outliers. But anybody who's got, gone and taken live drawing mm-hmm. classes knows I mean, this. I learned that in costuming more than one. So. Yeah. So we, we drew over the head, we traced the, the skull essentially, and then copied and pasted it to mm-hmm. up above the mm-hmm. hair and to see how tall it was in relation to the face. Mm-hmm. Because the proportions of the face are just about the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a weak chin or a strong chin, proportions of the face, right? We also did this for the 1780s hair, which we're going to yeah. talk about in a second, yeah. uh, to figure out how tall were hairstyles really in yeah. the 70s and in the 80s or how wide how wide um, yeah. so it's incredibly scientific right no it, <laughs> we it should was probably literally... since this they make it into the book we should probably put this on the blog yeah we'll be happy yeah. to put that that up and, and show how we got to this mm-hmm. uh, conclusion yeah so this assumption so us working together based off of my my experience and my assumption we were able to to look at portraiture and figure this out um, so even in 74, the hair really truly wasn't all that tall. It was tall, but it wasn't 
three feet tall. But it wasn't. You are piling a lot of other things on top yes. of it, and, and that's, that's the height. <laughs> that's the height. So, um, recent research on the idea of the poof, and and I'm gonna recommend for those of you who want the most recent information on what a poof is to buy Fashion's Victim, Fashion Victims by Kimberly Crispin Campbell. Um, it is a beautiful, well-researched book. It's one of those lovely mixes of a coffee table book, but also really high-quality academic research um, that she published, I think, about a year or two ago about um, Marie Antoinette, the court, Louis the Sixteenth, and how fashions change. And she actually talks about the poof in there. And uh, um, the man milliner... Louis, what's his face? So he was another milliner to um, Marie Antoinette, and he was very famous and very successful. He's the one that kind of came up with the idea of the poof. And the poof is not actually the hairstyle. The poof is all the crap that goes on top of the hairstyle. Um, that's what Kimberly's research came down to. And so the gauze, the feathers, you know, this whole damn ship. <laughs> Everyone's the obsession frigate, with the ship. The, the birdcage, the frigate. Yeah, the, all of that. The, the frigate. Well, it's the cliches of 18th century yes. hair that we're trying yes. to myth bust here. And they're trying to put it in people in costumers today because um, in older research, the idea was that it was actually in the hair. And it's like, well, no, Louis actually put them, not Louis the Sixteenth, but the man the milliner. Yeah. He put them on headpieces. So, you know... Like, millinery objects. Like, hats, essentially. You know what I want to put in my hair? What? A, a race car. car. I was going to say uh, a lotus. <laughs> <laughs> I want to put, like, a bright red race car in my hair and see if anybody knows. Just so long as you put it probably on a, on a more structured form and then pin it to your hair, yeah. then you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I can't say the word. <laughs> An entire racetrack on my head. <laughs> we could do that with Hot Wheels. That'd be kind of awesome. So cool. And I could have the remote, and I would just like <laughs> run around behind you. Yeah, it'd be great. Water. Um, so, so yeah, the the all this stuff that people would put into their hair, where I, it wasn't actually on their hair, it was on the poops. it was up above. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and. I'm, I'm just going to throw my opinion out here, and some of y'all might not like it. Can we please stop putting ships in our hair? It's so fun, though. No. But it's really not. It's... I think, it, I think it's me. fun so long as you know that it was a one-time thing commemorating a specific event at a specific yes. date. I would rather see some really high-quality uh, fake fruit and maybe <laughs> a Grecian uh, cherub scene. A little... Centaurettes, yes, in the hair. Yeah, um, I mean, my personal opinion is go and have fun at your masquerade in the carnival with the ship in your hair. I've always wanted to do it, um, but you know, just just know where it comes from. Somebody yeah. asks about it. So it's make sure your outfit is dated to the right time period. So we're talking like seventy six to seventy eight at, at the latest. Well, note to self: the ship I was going to wear in my hair tomorrow um, to the office, I will not. I will. I'll just take a water gun and shoot it. Don't you put water on my pomade and powdered hair? That's like the worst attack ever. So yeah, but anyways, the point of this of this conversation, ladies and gentlemen, is that the hype really comes from all the other things. The feathers, the gauze, the fake fruit, the fake flowers, the ship. It's not the hair itself. Um, it's it's everything that's put on top of that. And that's when you can get just insane like, amount of crazy. volume. And there's hats that go up there as well. Yeah. And it even is, how the hats are tall. worn. It is tall, but yeah. it's not like four it's not foot your tall hair. on yeah, top of your no. head. Uh, so then the the converse of this mm-hmm. is the hedgehog style, what we call the hedgehog yeah. style. Which, that's not the term that they're using. Um, Hedersol, um, I might be butchering my French there. You When you see descriptions of it, or you see that word used, which is where people get hedgehog from, it actually is more like mid-1770s. Interesting. Yeah. So the... What are we going to call it? For the sake of, for the sake for, of discussing we it. We call it the hedgehog. We'll call it the hedgehog. So what we found in our uh, incredibly scientific uh, portrait tracing here is mm-hmm. that the hedgehog style, this is 1780s, is a face. It's mm-hmm. one face on one side and one face on the other side. So the width of your face. And half a face tall. Yeah. It is wider than it is tall. It and is. it's very wide. Yeah. So we're looking at, on average, what, I'm, what we kind of found later on is about four inches of height 
at the top of the head, above yeah. the forehead. So, so you, half of your face. If you measure from, you can just do this with your fingers from well, you, they the tip can't, of your they chin, can't see. <laughs> the tip of your chin to your nose, or from your nose to the your top forehead. of your forehead. I have an extra big forehead, so I've mm-hmm. got it like five inches mm-hmm. here. Um, that at On the top. height, so half your face as the height and then your full width of your face on mm-hmm. either side. So a little bit wider than than your yeah, nose. Yeah, not to chin. not just your not just your eyeballs and stuff, but yeah. your your whole like yeah. front mug here so, from ear to ear. Yeah. Okay. So it's not super big, but it's not super small. Mm-hmm. It but it is wider on the sides. Yeah. And I in my own experiments I found that the hedgehog proportion can sometimes be a little tricky to mm-hmm. get. I, I go out to the sides, I'm like, surely this is enough but why don't I look right and it's because I haven't gone out wide enough mm-hmm. it's like it is football head it is it's, football it's like head. hey Arnold it's hey Arnold 18th century football head yeah. um, and then you've got you get your buckles mm-hmm. hanging down from there yeah and the, the trick with this too is is it does shift and change because when you read hairdressing manuals when they talk about how short to cut the hair over the ears which is the side that would, the hair obviously that would go out to the sides they do say cut it to whatever's in fashion Um, I think it's important for people listening, for you all listening, um, the hair in the front for women, kind of like from behind your ears to the front, wasn't actually that long all the time. You kind of ended up rocking this. Kind of a mullet. Yeah, it's a history. I call it like the history mullet. (laughs) Um, And the longer your hair is, the harder it actually is to get it to sit out to the side. Because it's too heavy. Because it's too long and it's too heavy. So, you know, if you actually have a bob hair, like, like at your chin, um, if you just get some clip-in hair extensions, which they would have done too for the length in the back, you just curl that and, and tease it out, you're set. You got a great 18th century haircut there. I don't. I personally was never brave enough to rock a um, 18th century mullet. Mullet. Um, <laughs> I just like saying mullet. I'm from Southern Indiana, so it's a little <laughs> bit of a personal thing for me. Um, Josephine Dirt. <laughs> So, but but that's how you could do it, yeah. And it's, so it is wider at the sides. It's never as tall as what you think, but that little extra few inches of height is actually really flattering, I think, for women. Um, I really and like and it. again, they would have put cushions and things in here yeah, to get you do. this. You don't see, shape. you can't see them in the images, but they're there are steady references, and they're triangular shaped actually cushions um, that sit on the head. Um, on, on the top. So you're bringing the front of the hair up and over this, and this is also what you're putting your hat. You could. I think the on. when I was experimenting with this, the front, the front of the hair would probably stay up and vertical as best as it could. And this kind of depends again on what you like, what looks good on you, your styling. Because if you look at at portraits of the 1780s, n- none of them are the same. Everyone kind of has these slight nuances on how they fix their hair and how they've dressed it. It all kind of keeps with the same idea and trend and concept, but the nuances of how it's done is, is always a little bit different. Um, and then the hair that's kind of more, I guess, in, I think, the toupee region. Again, I'm not, I have not gone to cosmetology school, so I'm not familiar, and I have not been able to find an 18th century um, image that shows the different parts of the of the head and how they're described. But the kind of not the very front the of the hair, the crown, toupee area that might go over the cushion, but also the cushion might just be buried into it. Well, that that makes sense. When I've mm-hmm. done the the hedgehog hairstyle, I've needed something there to maintain. Here, a lot of people have at the on the crown, the back mm-hmm. of the head. A lot of people have a little bit of a flat mm-hmm. spot. I know I do. Thank you, Reese or Jeans, for that. <laughs> um, so I've used cushions back there mm-hmm. to keep that height round to yeah, the back. Yeah, so it doesn't go flat. And yeah. also, if you're wearing hats um, or a cap or anything, that gives it helps give structure underneath of it so it stays up and it stays secure. Because if you try to put a hat on and your hair is just frizzy, it's just going to go limp. Yeah, um, it just squishes it. Yeah, and another thing I found really interesting about these earlier frizzy time periods, so not late 80s or early 90s, but like early 80s, like up to like 84. Um, when I got to see the VJ LeBron exhibition at the Met, they put the um, portrait of Marie Antoinette in the chemise gown next to the replacement portrait of Marie Antoinette in the oh. gray silk polonaise. I had my brain exploded because by putting those portraits side by side, it became so clear that her hair in the chemise gown portrait was totally like hedgehog hair day two or three 
Like it was, you could see like it's much the, softer. It's and... so much softer, and it was like falling down and limp. But like her, her replacement portrait in the in the um, in the gray polonaise gown, you could tell that it had just been dressed. It was like craped and and frizzed and styled ever so perfectly, and then like the chemise gown was her obviously on like day two, day so, three. So it was awesome. This ties in with the whole. Uh, problem with that portrait when it came out is the queen, Super cash. The queen in a state of de chevalier. Yeah. Um, and how inappropriate yeah. people viewed that to be. And it wasn't just the dress, it was also it her, was her hair. Her hair, yeah. yeah. I, Interesting. And I never, looking, I've looked at this portrait so much. Uh, separate. I love Vigée Lebrun. I love her. But looking at them side by side in, in, in the exhibition, it just, my brain just went, it was like fireworks. I was like, oh my god! And of course, Poor Marie Antoinette, trend setting and being ridiculed for it, and then everybody picks up the trend. Yeah, and yeah. she this happened all the way through her time, Poor thing. you know, in France. Um, of course, by the time we get to the 1790s, we mentioned it before. The hair, the dishabillée with the hair is it's totally it's a thing, a thing you know, and the chemise gown is a thing. Experiencing, um, experimenting with that. Yeah, um, yeah. In, in France, you get a lot of uh, the incroyable and marvelous. Yeah. straggly hair look. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to do for anybody who wants to do 1790s. Even if you have a janky haircut like I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, flip in some extensions, get a little bit of curl okay. in there, frizzy. It's super, it's probably the easiest of all 18th yeah. century hairstyles. Well, of course, you can also get away with cutting your hair short and cropping it very yes. short in the 90s, too. Thank which for, for that, for, yeah. for my sake, anyway. Yeah. Um, now, we mentioned it before, again, and, and this ties in with Marie Antoinette, um, one more question for you. Hair powder, mm-hmm. stopping the use of hair powder, yeah. is it because of Marie Antoinette or are there other reasons? There's been a lot of research on this and I haven't gone as in-depth into it as I would like because I, I simply haven't had the time, nor has the late 90s been a time period that I've been able to really study until very recently when we were working on the book. Um, Kimberly Christman Campbell does write about it. And do some research, and she she did some research on it, and so it's she referenced it in her book. Um, what I have found going through primary documentation, so hairdressing manuals that date from the '90s, and just my experience with pomading and powdering my hair um, for a year, and how it works, and how my hair reacts, and how my hair looks, and then doing the book because in our book, um, that's. I should just go ahead and do a proper plug for it because we've referenced it now like 15 times. <laughs> um, our book on 18th century dressmaking is going to come out on November 21st of 2017. And we have a whole chapter devoted to the late 90s. And the outfit was made for me. And so I'm modeling for it. And when I did my hair, I, and all the, actually, I think, yeah, all of the, all of our photo shoots, the glamour shots, we did historically accurate hair as best as we could, couldn't we? Yep. Yeah. Um, so, so what I know about the nineties and what I've seen in portraiture, the conclusion that I came to was, is that are they powdering their hair like they did in France in the 1760s, seventies and eighties? No, definitely not. But are they, have they cut out the use of it completely? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think they're using it as much as they did. I and obviously there were taxes and laws passed and there's an association with the ancient regime going on and, and things like that. But, you know, with like we talked about in the other episode about hair, there's such a tie-in about hygiene when it comes to hair powder and it's, pomade. Yeah, it's not the flick of a light switch. It didn't it, just stop. Yeah, it's not just a fashion thing. It is, it is a hygiene thing. It's like saying that because of the no shampoo movement today, everyone stopped using shampoo. No like you and me like we've stopped shampooing our hair every day and we've gone longer time periods between washings but we still do wash our hair we might use different shampoo that doesn't have um, detergents in it that are harsh that's guilt that strip our scalp or uh, oils and things like that but we still use it so it's just that it's a it's a slower gradual change um so when we did the photo shoot I I did put very little powder in my hair. So I pomaded my hair um, and I put a little bit of powder because pomade is actually really good when it comes to curling your hair. Um, They still use pomade in the Regency time period and that's how you can get those beautiful curls with just a curling iron. I cannot wait to try this Uh, for 
Yeah. Jane Austen. I had, um... Now that I have hair. Yeah, now that you have hair to do it. Yay! Because my, um, our friends, Nicole Rudolph, um, uh, Diary of a Mantua Maker, and Samantha, the couture courtesan, uh, they actually both used my pomade when they went down to New Orleans in 2015, I think, and they were like, it, the pomade battle like the crappy New Orleans weather and they held the curls really well too wow. so I wanted to use two the pomade different, very different hair types yeah for those two women as well yeah so I wanted to use the pomade but I didn't want to have greasy hair because you don't see that in late 90s portraiture so I put very very little hair powder in just to kind of absorb the excess moisture and I combed my hair so that way my natural hair color came through but it was not shiny it was not glossy and for reference um, for those of you who don't know Abby has very dark brown hair mm -hmm. when I was photographing her in the 1790s I didn't even know that she had put hair powder in yeah but her hair was not glossy and shiny mm -hmm. it, it was stepped out of a portrait yeah <laughs> <laughs> so and that's why I did it so and and the more I looked at hair and hair powdering and in the process I can see shades of of really delicate hair powder application in the late 90s so that's another title that we could have called this 50 shades of gray <laughs> hair powder <laughs> well folks um abby thank you that was just amazing You're welcome. i hope over the last two episodes that you guys have gotten a better idea mm -hmm. of hair styling and treatment and, and hygiene and cleanliness and tools yeah um in the 18th century yeah. And we're going to follow this with a blog, or yeah. simultaneous with a blog post with yeah. uh, images of what we're talking about, as, mm -hmm. as well as our study into, or examples from our study into proportion. proportion yeah. uh, so as you can see, mm -hmm. it is not just one direction. It is up <laughs> and it is out. There are many Harry Styles involved. <laughs> and these are the Harry Styles of the 18th century. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to say before we, before we say goodbye completely, um, don't be afraid to experiment with making your own. Uh, pomade and powder. I know we're probably getting a lot of questions of people going, where can I get it? Where can I get it? There are people that sell products on online on Etsy. I actually used to have a shop. I don't anymore. Um, but So you can buy stuff, but honestly, don't be afraid to make it. You can find the recipes on Google Books. Seriously. Yeah. Just and, Google Pomade on Google like on Google Books and talk recipes about, like, will come up. Experimental archaeology. Yeah. There's no better way to learn about these things than by doing it. Yeah, and like I said too, you know, you don't even need to really make hair powder. You just need to buy starch. So you can buy corn starch, you can buy potato starch, you can buy tapioca starch, and, and it'll do the job. Pomade is the trickier one, but like I said, the ingredients actually aren't that hard to find. It's just giving yourself the time uh, to make them yourself. Um, don't use talcum powder. Or flour. Or flour. There are, there are good and there are bad, so explore mm -hmm. it on your own. Have if you fun. have questions, um, Leave us some comments or write us an email, info at americanduchess.com. I love talking about hair. Oh, yeah, I can tell. Um, <laughs> and if you want to join us on Facebook, search American Duchess. We're also on Pinterest, Twitter, and Instagram. Whoop. And for more, 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 more of everything, blog.americanduchess.com. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Lauren. And I'm Abby. Bye. You don't know you're beautiful. Bye.